Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Okay, so welcome to the Vet Gurus, Mark. And as you probably know, listeners, we sound a tad different today. And that's because we're actually face-to-face, aren't we, Mark, here? So no. It feels really weird, <laughs> Brendan. I'm not in my closet, my soundproof booth. Um, I'm actually, like, sitting right next to you. And uh, it, it's a strange but exhilarating sensation. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. This is the weekend in May the 18th, 2018. And we're the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. And don't forget to visit our website where we'll have all the links to the Great articles. We have the news items, Mark, vetgurus.com. And don't forget to drop us an email. And I think speaking of emails, Mark, you have, and we have unanimously decided on our winner for the signed book, which I think you just got out a minute ago, didn't you, Mark, to, um, to put your little scribble on there? So a bit of a drum roll. And uh, who is our winner, Mark? I'm I'm really pleased to announce that um, uh, Elizabeth Pearson is our winner, and we're going to have great pleasure um, sending uh, the book to her. It's a a double win because it's not very. She's in Tamworth, so it's not a big cost to send the book to her. (laughs) Um, And uh, Elizabeth sent us a few uh, quite funny stories. One one that sort of catched uh, caught my uh, eye was um, when she mentioned um, Mr. Burns, the late monitor who came to one of the hospitals near her and um, and was uh, in a, uh, um, a, a habitat created by an above ground pool but every time I hear the, the name he, the, the lizard in question was injured in a fire but every time I hear the name Mr Burns I sort of revert to the Simpsons character outside in an outdoor pool enclosure looking vaguely veranid um, um. Perhaps that's why it is named, or what's named Mr. Burns. And she also, well, she's a bit, she's another one of our serial emailers, isn't she, um, um, Elizabeth? But keep doing it, Elizabeth. We're, we're, we're enjoying your emails because her other, one of her other emails, she spoke about her bearded dragon lollipop mark. And, and what did she have to say about lollipop? Well, the interesting thing about lollipop is the full circle effect, Brendan, the full <laughs> circle effect, I call it. Um, that, um, uh, lollipop came to be in Elizabeth's care um, uh, through a colleague of ours, Dr. Bob. Yes. Um, a close personal friend, someone you've uh, travelled quite extensively with up the coast. And um, and so it is, I don't know, there's, what is there, four billion people in the world and we keep meeting in circles the same half a dozen people over <laughs> and over right. again. We've got to get out a bit more, I think, Mark. <laughs> well, I just wanted to, um, I really appreciate Elizabeth's uh, emails um, and, uh, and uh, I, you know, we need more emails for sure. We'd love some more from Elizabeth and anyone else who can, uh, uh, who uh, wants to communicate with us, um, just uh, hop on the Vet Guru's website and drop us a line. We love hearing from you. And Elizabeth, I will be putting my little scribble on the book and we will post it out probably next week um, or maybe later this week when I get back um, 
back to Melbourne um, because we're both up here in sunny, and it is sunny, isn't it, Mark? It's the afternoon here. We're up in sunny Brisbane here for the Australian Veterinary Association annual conference. So our main topic this week will be our roving reportage um, around the trade floor. So get ready for some... um, Probably some very poor audio, some very poor jokes as well, Mark, I think, um, during the conference. So that's what our main topic will be. But hopefully you'll uh, we'll chat to some of our um, keen supporters and, and, and trade exhibitors who um, spend a lot of time helping us out, with in, especially in the exotic pet field, but also with um, just supporting the um, our veterinary colleagues generally, Mark. So let's jump into some news, and I think you've got the first one, Mark. In fact, you've got all three, haven't you? Um, and it is about a Sumatran dam that is proposed that potentially could threaten the rarest ape in the world. And what is that ape, Mark? Well, it's the um, it's a, a subspecies of orangutan, the Tapanuli orangutan. Um, there's only 800 of them left. And this story uh, is uh, uh, drives... It's an intersection of two areas of interest of mine. Um, as you know, I travelled to Sabah a couple of years ago and visited the orangutan rescue centre in Sepalok. And I was upset, Brendan. I was seriously upset because it was Were you almost, angry? I was almost <laughs> angry. Almost. Um, it was uh, like, you know, I'm, you know I'm not a big uh, um, bucket list person, but this was something I've wanted to do for some time. And when I got there, I was, a, I don't know, a bit disappointed. The reserve is a big space, um, maybe 20, 24 kilometres by 12 to 14 kilometres. It's unfortunately surrounded on the western and southern sides by palm oil plantation on the north by sandakan suburbs um, and on the east by the ocean so there literally is nowhere for it to get any bigger um, i think it uh, I, I remember calculating it was about 230 square kilometers and um oh, just uh, just over 200 square kilometers and um, the carrying capacity of good quality rainforest uh, for orangutan is about a square kilometre per adult animal, and there's already more than 240 orangutan in Sepalok. And so, I don't know, pressure. There's no more space for these animals. And, uh, and this story tells the uh, similar, almost precisely the same events happening in Sumatra, um, where one of the subspecies, uh, down to 800 animals, is critically threatened by um, the development of a hydroelectric dam, uh, um, one that's um, to be constructed in partnership with uh, Sino-Hydro, the Chinese um, uh, uh, government's hydroelectric uh, people. Um, They've made a deal with the Indonesians and they're planning to build this dam um, and it will wipe out um, this particular subspecies of orangutan. Um, It's part of a bigger story, Brendan, that um, there's likely to be a large number of these environmental issues as um, China pursues its foreign policy of, um, uh, it goes under various names, the, um, but basically the um, uh, Belt Road Initiative where they're trying to draw pathways through the ocean and through the continents um, to make up a um, you know, a sphere of influence, I suppose. Um, and uh, and this is one of the projects in that uh, uh, BRI um, that's that's probably going to see the um, uh, the poor Tapanuli orangutan leave the earth forever. So, what's the solution? 
<laughs> we give up? We can't give up, Brendan. We just can't give up. It does seem... Honestly, we've had this... Um, uh, I've been worried. I've been worried that our podcast is... And it's good that we're at the AVA conference where we'll talk to some of our friends and it'll be a bit lighthearted because sometimes our news stories take a little bit of a heavy, darker sort of tone and I know when you when you're interested in animals and particularly if you're interested in un, unusual and um, uh, animals from the wilderness it, there's nothing but um, to be a bit of uh, suffering a bit of despair at the moment I think um, so I don't know I think we've still got to continually advocate um, I think even our forum here when we can talk to people about these things I think uh, it's just sometimes it feels like a, a tidal wave that you're trying to hold back but I think you've just got to keep being um, a squeaky gate and try each time to uh, make people aware that these things are happening and maybe in some instances flavour them so that the animals and plants that are involved are taken into account. There'd be nothing better than Sinohydro to hear um, uh, that this is an issue and to somehow set it up so that Tapanuli Orangutan um, well, we're looking at pictures now of the uh, the um, absolute devastation of the rainforest in Sumatra. It's just heartbreaking to look at those photos, Brendan. Um, yeah, we just got to we've, we've got to be the voice you're going to be the voice. You're going to do it right now. Do it. Maybe we just need to big build a bigger zoos, Mark, um, to have more um, space for these species that are going to become extinct. I mean, that's a pessimistic view, and I think um, that's probably going to happen with some of these, no matter what we um, what, what we do and how we protest, Mark. But um, yes, I think we need to protest, and protest we shall. <laughs> we, protest we, we, we with some, we'll be angry sometimes. <laughs> I think you need to get angry, and um, I'm going to get very angry soon, Mark, if we don't get out there and um, have a drink soon. So <laughs> let's move on to topic number two, and this is a bit more of a light-hearted one, but has a bit of a serious undertone as well, and that is the bit about naming species after celebrities, Mark, and you have a... You have a bit of a barrow to push on this one. You <laughs> I do have a barrow to push. Yes. I, I don't know when I'm, when I was at vet schools. I, I don't know who told me this, but I do remember a story about um, anatomy and the scientific names in anatomy. Where um, uh, in veterinary anatomy, the scientific names that were developed were functional, so you weren't allowed to name body parts or bumps on bones after people. Um, whereas in human anatomy, there's a whole bunch of locations in the body that are adorned with um, with famous uh, doctors' uh, names. Um, and similarly, in uh, <laughs> Lansdale's, of course, in um, <laughs> crikey, sorry, I was just point. I was just distracting Mark there. We shouldn't be doing the podcast face to face because we just get carried away with things. But the, a, a good example here is that crikey, Steve were Steve. Steve Irwin I is a land snail that was named after the late Grace, some would say, Steve Irwin. So um, just a bit of an example of, of, of some of these celebrity 
species that are named. Um, there's and, a and couple of no- I think there's a few named after David Attenborough. I was going to say David Attenborough is leading the. There's an actual table, number of species named after you, and David Attenborough is leading that table. And you're very proud that um, we have a Beyonce named species, haven't we, Mark? And um, what sort of species is that one? Um, well, I'll have to look that one up a sec- in a, in a Scaptia Beyoncé. It's a fly. It's a horsefly. It's an Australian horsefly. So there you go, named after Beyonce. So, so named Beyonce. because the fly in question has a shiny golden butt. Well, there you go. Um, so what's the point of all this naming species after famous celebrities? And I expect that fairly soon, Mark, there may be one named after you. <laughs> well, I think that the, the good thing, the, the positive to take out of it is that um, it's science communication. It's bringing um, information about species uh, using the celebrities as a vehicle to raise awareness about particular species in the public eye. I think that's a good thing. Um, but I think the difficult thing is that there is... I don't know, you don't want to make these things too light-hearted and frivolous. They are really important things, and and the naming uh, plays an you know an important role in uh, the further research, the uh, uh, the elucidation of um, uh, the genome. All those sorts of things depend on classification, um, and so getting it right to start with. And there's no going back, as we well know, those of us in the reptile world know far too well that. Um, that uh, uh, light-hearted or ill-conceived uh, scientific names can throw the scientific literature into a deep state of confusion for years. So um, while I applaud scientists who use this to raise the awareness of various species or various scientific issues, um, I do think there is an upper limit to how... Uh, not only just there's like 400,000 species to be named in Australia, there's hardly like 400,000 celebrities. We only know six people. <laughs> that's right. So that's why we need the um, Mark Simpson eye. Um, a reptile? Is it a bit? No, it'll have to be a bird, I think. Or maybe it will be a, a, the new bird cross reptile that's discovered. Might, might be a very small worm. <laughs> So yeah, I see your point. I mean, it's the, it's the the, the advantage of, of potentially promoting um, species and, and thinking about the planet with um, naming them these celebrity names, but also it may be trivialising it a little bit too much. So yeah, um, and yes, we we both know of. Um, some reptile species that have been named um, where, where, where people have just decided, I'm going to call this a new species. Um, and they named several, um, several spe- um, supposed new species of reptiles after themselves, which, um, which shouldn't have been done. So, yeah. Or even worse, they name, they uh, troll various uh, um, research forums to try and get a feel for what might be published next and then uh, gazump those publications with uh, animals named after their dog or those sorts of things are uh, counterproductive and and they drive where I think that the scientific community is growing closer and closer to the general community they want you know there's experts 
um, and uh, and people who general public people from the general public have an interest, and those two groups of people should be drawing closer together. Um, where at the moment, I think this whole taxonomy issue is driving a wedge between them, Brendan. It's a wedge between Beyonce's um, cheeks, is it? Um, is that what we're talking about? <laughs> That's a, not the vision I had, but now you've played it in mind. I think we should move on to the final news story we have, Mark, which is a, which is um, actually quite a serious one. And for those of you outside Australia, may not have seen or heard much of this story, but it probably did hit the hit the news um, news. Um, um, yeah. Over the last few weeks. Over yeah. the last few weeks, um, internationally. And this is about meat exports. Uh, meat exports, Mark. Live exports. And meat live exports. Well, are they live? Because we're talking about these sheep that are dying um, during the transport um, across to mainly, what, the Middle East, isn't it, Mark? Um, with um, and, and an unacceptable death rate in some of these um, ships. So there's been a, a big push for a potential ban of all of these um, exports of sheep. Um, so what's the answer, Mark? And, and this article, I can't remember where this article's from, but we will link to it. But um, um, one of the main, the opposition, um, national opposition um, political party has promised to phase out live sheep export if they win the next election, Mark. So what's your thoughts on this whole thing? Well, I really, this article is an excellent one to distribute, Brendan, because I think there is an awful lot of um, misinformation out there. And they're the two, um, you know, there's two species that we export live, there's sheep and cattle. Um, the majority of the cattle go to uh, Indonesia, um, and the majority of the sheep go to the Middle East. Um, the, the, there are two main factors that drive that trade. The first one is an absence of uh, storage refrigeration in the destination company countries, so the animals are slaughtered and uh, consumed relatively quickly. And in, in addition, they're both not just um, Islamic um, halal requirements, but also kosher requirements in the Middle East. We're not just talking about one form of religious uh, um, uh, slaughter. Um, we're talking about um, both those uh, ritualized um, forms of uh, uh, slaughter for meat, um, and they're those um, those both both those aspects are driving the trade, and I my personal opinion, I'm happy to stick my neck out here and say um, that I think both those uh, reasons are negotiable. We can uh, we can um, negotiate our way around those to provide um, uh, meet those those services. Uh, we can. Uh, encourage refrigeration in those destination countries. We can um, build up networks where the the, um, the meat can be distributed, and we can uh, slaughter them in halal and kosher fashion here in Australia. Yes. I think, and that's the end point. I would think that our government needs to head towards. I think so, and I th and this article sort of details a lot of those points, doesn't it, Mark? Um, and the Australian Veterinary Association here has been actively involved with trying to ensure that veterinarians are involved with the key decisions on that, and that um, the vets who may be on these ships 
uh, independent and they don't have any pressure um, put on them as far as making decisions or, or, or I suppose maybe even misreporting um, um, the percentage of, of deaths there. Um, but yeah, I, saw, I, I, I saw some interesting comments, Brendan, about um, and I know there's some. Uh, information technology subjects uh, in the program this week. Um, people were talking about uh, using um, blockchain technology to ensure the authenticity of well-being of these animals along the chain. Um, but um, but yeah, I don't know whether I don't know. Sometimes when we see these forms of technology, we get so swept up in what they could do that we forget the basic premise that. Um, that you know, our objective should be the welfare of these animals, and um, and uh, and I think that is best served not by a blockchain service uh, operating on the ships travelling to the Middle East, um, but that the animals are humanely slaughtered in our country, and they don't have to undergo that hor- potentially horrific journey. Yes, and I and we haven't even spoke about the. Even the broader question about whether or not you should be eating the meat anyway, um, and you might want to comment on that, um, <laughs> um, as, as far as what's the ideal way to um, consume food, um, and what food should we be consuming to oh. save the planet, Mark? Um, <laughs> we so are headed towards a long discussion I'll there. Put, I'll put you on the spot here, um, but well, let's not... Well, let's not jump into that one at the moment. But um, yes, I, I, my the only way I can see a solution to this is potentially yes, yeah, slaughtering these animals um, in Australia and, and not having them um, um, undergo that trip where, where regardless of whether you call it a small percentage or not, um, a percentage of them will be dying during that trip, and, and what percentage of them is 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 acceptable well it should be zero percent of those being acceptable and the only way of doing that is to have the whole process um, undertaken so that they don't undertake that trip apart from when they're in refrigerated and 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 they've been slaughtered already and prepared in the in the method um, um, required for for the destination I think we're we're of a single thought in that regard I think that's a admirable objective I can't see um, I know that uh, many uh, many um, businesses, many family businesses are dependent on this type of trade, um, but I think our government needs to be proactive in transitioning those family businesses, protecting them so they're not uh, disadvantaged, um, and transition them to a market situation where they are, um, uh, are no longer requiring live export, but um, that their wonderful product can be uh, slaughtered here in Australia and processed and uh, in such a way that um, the religious sensitivities of the destination countries are served um, and uh, and the welfare of the animals is paramount. I agree, but, uh, and, but I do think it's going to take a fair period of time for that to happen and, and, and the concern is that those destinations um, will not accept slaughtering um, locally in Australia in this instance for these products um, um, and still require them to be shipped out and there'll be a lot of pressure for that to still occur. I think that, that um, this this leads us to a topic we might have to talk about another time but I think um, there are two, uh, two points I'd make about that. Leadership is at the core of both those points. We need leadership in the negotiations um, that the destination countries um, can be negotiated with 
in such a way that we do satisfy their um, their religious sensitivities um, and but that requires leadership. We need people who are prepared to see the endpoint um, and to guide the discussion in that direction. And similarly, um, you know, I don't. I, we just need um, leadership at our local government uh, in our local government um, to uh, affect the transition. The transition is not that difficult. Um, it will take some time, I understand, but um, it just needs leadership. I have I have enough trouble getting the local government to empty the bins, <laughs> let alone do anything more. Mark. So, yeah, I'm a bit more pessimistic about you, but um, regarding the subject, but it is something that needs to be addressed. And and I know every time one of these ships has a disaster with with I don't, how, how many. What percentage of sheep died on that that particular five percent? Something. I think like it was five percent. Yeah. Um, and then there's a big. Um, um, Bruhar about it, um, fair enough, um, but things don't change, and then, then a few years later, the same thing happens again. And well, the first of these was in two thousand and nine when right. um, there yep. were there were the trade to Indonesia was suspended for um, for some period of weeks, and uh, um, and uh, yeah, so this is not a new problem. It's a, a similar issue, I think, to um, to forestry that. Um, we know that at some point we're going to stop chopping down our old growth forests. We should be transitioning the people who work there in the communities that depend on those resources to new things. It takes foresight and leadership. These things need to be um, celebrated, encouraged and supported. And, 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 and I'm, 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 help me, Brendan. You're talking like a politician, although <laughs> I'd vote for you, Matt. I would vote for you. OK. No, I, I agree totally with what you're saying there. It's just... Uh, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, well, let's move on to our something completely different. And you are going to give us a product review. And it's, all, it's going to be a left field one as usual and, and not a veterinary product review. <laughs> Although during our interviews um, with the trade here at the Australian Veterinary Association, um, coming up shortly, we'll probably have some product reviews as well. So, Mark, what have we got? Well, my product review this week is a music video, Brendan. Um, you of course will, it is. <laughs> will recall that I, uh, in our discussions earlier in the week, I, I um, told you how excited I was about this music video, and I sent you a, uh, a link to it, and you've had a look at it. I know you're equally excited by it, um, and it is the uh, um, uh, This Is America by Childish Gambino. Um, an American, uh, African-American performer who um, does tend to focus uh, in this music video on uh, some of the darker aspects of, um, of uh, American culture, maybe gun violence and uh, the disadvantage of, uh, um, of African-Americans, people of colour. Um, and he does it in such a way that he juxtaposes um, some of the really upbeat, um, bright um, aspects of um, that culture, particularly music and dance, um, uh, in such a way as to almost conceal or distract us. We were talking about the, the um, uh, you know, the magician's trick of... Um, of uh, misdirection and um, and the music video in this case in particular does tend to make you not pay attention to the horrible things going on in the background. Um, at one stage in the music video, the one of the f um, uh, the the um, 
four horsemen of the apocalypse rides in the background but unless you're paying attention to the background you're entranced by the um the uh, um, rhythmic um, upbeat dancing of the uh, the um, musicians the dancers in the foreground and not paying attention to the background i think it's a very clever video very socially aware very woke some people might say brendan um uh, but i enjoyed it immensely and i give it a 9.6 out of 10 so do you actually play this as you're driving along this uh, song i do on repeat i have it on repeat you do you do yes i i must admit i've only watched it two or three times since you pointed it out to me and yes it was a little bit disturbing but it wasn't wasn't something that i thought uh, i hadn't seen before was exactly what I thought it would be, <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. So I was sort of that, stuttering there a bit, and I was trying that'll to... That'll make much more sense to people when, when they watch the video, <laughs> I think. It's it's a bit stereotypical, but atypical as well, of the culture in the United States. Um, and we have got lots of US listeners here, so I would like to have some of them email us, vetgurus at gmail.com and tell us their thoughts on this video do they think it's um accurate depiction of what's happening in their country it's probably happening in a lot of countries isn't it this type of thing this um which you'll see with the video video if you haven't already um viewed it although by the look of it there has been 91 million views already so i think uh, a fair percentage of the world have, 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 have viewed it although probably 90 of those have been marked but even on repeat as <laughs> he's going to and from work there mark so yes and so do you want to tell our listeners again what the video title is it's um the official video of uh the song this is america um, the artist is Childish Gambino, which is um, uh, Donald Glover's um, uh, alter ego, his music alter ego. Um, Donald Glover is the American star um, writer, director and lead actor in the um, Atlanta television series. And I think he also has just recently completed the um, uh, playing the role of uh, Lando Calrissian in the... Um, Han Solo movie so he's um he's sort of across all the areas of entertainment in America at the moment but um uh, this particular one well it's a little bit um shocking it draws people's attention to it um and it has a bit of a uh, unlike a lot of his previous music has a bit of a social commentary to it we should jump into some some reviews from the trade floor okay and some interviews with some of the trades so we'll cross over to them well mark here we are where are we we're at the nepalese pagoda that's right in south bank and we're about to enter into the australian veterinary association annual conference so what are you looking forward to today i'm looking forward first of all to getting the AGM of the UPAV out of the way, so, signing <laughs> off on that bit of administrative. So our little meeting, yes, yes, and then I think we'll go around the trade and we'll do a few interviews. And I mean, the main thing I find with the conferences that I look forward to is just catching up with friends and catching up with colleagues I haven't seen for years. And I'll tell you what, they're all looking pretty old. <laughs> the ones I haven't seen for a few years. Um, I'm not, but they are, Mark. Um, yeah, what, what, are there any particular trade exhibits you're looking to um, 
looking forward to seeing or to chatting to? Well, I always look forward to catching up with um, Andrew and Jen, the Oxbow slash uh, F10 um, stall. They've, yes. they've been um, long-standing, um, almost like a, a focal point. I'll drop my bag there and then wander off and look around the rest of the place. So really looking forward to catching up with those guys. And they've been such good supporters of... Uh, of uh, the unusual pets and avian vets that um, I always feel connected to those guys. Yes. Um, and uh, I'm Doug. I'm, I'm, um, so Microchips Australia, who um, have some really um, neat little, um, tiny little microchips that we, uh, we use all the time, don't we? The midi and the mini ones that we use for, for, for avians and our reptiles and even in amphibians. Sticking you know? into very small yeah. animals, yep. Yeah. Um, and also, I think some of the compounding chemists, because obviously we end up needing to have to compound some of these medications to get the animals to take them, don't we, Mark? And, and flavour them. So, um, and I think there's about four or five of the compounding chemists here. So it's a, a bit of a um, exploding business model, isn't it? The old um, compounding chemists, although it's a little bit controversial, isn't it, as far as the compliance issues there with them. There are so. some regulatory issues with them, and uh, and it is a little bit both on the actual pharmacist side and the veterinary side, the way they're used, and it varies state to state too, so as you say, a little bit um, a little bit of a grey and controversial area, but no doubt it's uh, financially viable because of the number of people that it's um, that's drawing to that field, that growing market. Yes. Well, it looks like a whole group of tourists have just arrived here in the Pagoda. So, um, on a um, set tour with all their little selfie sticks, Mark. So, let's just sign off now and we'll head into the conference and we'll start to ta do some interviews. Well, Mark, here we are with Jen from Specialised Animal Nutrition here at the AVA conference. And I think we might have a bit of a chat to Jen about a couple of the new products she has out. Um, hopefully she has some new products. Um, and also how her own little brand of um, supplements and, and um, treats for rabbits and environmental enrichment products for rabbits like the Baraka Station. So Very we're going to talk to Jen about that. Very keen to talk about Baraka Station. So, Jen, welcome to the Vet Podcast. And um, do you want to talk a little? Let's go back a little bit. Talk about how you ended up in Australia, because I don't think you're originally from our <laughs> side of the um, world, Jen. No. Uh, hello. Um, no, I'm West Virginia girl originally, actually, and I met an Aussie um, travelling in Ecuador when I was in my mid twenties, and ended up. After finished university, moving to Wollongong, and I've been here for 24 years now. What did you study at uni? International business. Excellent. Yes. And how did you end up working for or with Oxbow USA? It's a bit of a funny story, actually. Um, so, my mother, who was in Pennsylvania, um, they rescued. They thought rescued. Um, a bunch of baby bunnies from their backyard in the summertime, which I've now discovered many, many years later. The mama was probably coming back at the end of the day, but they didn't know this at the time. And so she had these rabbits that she was trying to raise. And this was back in the late 90s. And at the time, she found this little farm on the internet because my mother has to have the best food. And she found this little company and she started ordering product from them. 
and it turned out that this was the very beginning throes of Oxbow. And they had two employees, and but it was the best food around, and Mum had to have it for her little orphans. And she got to chatting to them one day, and they said, you know, we're getting all these international inquiries on our website, and we're in a 500-person town in the middle of Nebraska, and it's a real quandary of how effectively to deal with all these people across Asia that want the products because they're hearing about it. And my mother said, well, my daughter's just retired because she had her first baby, and maybe you guys could work, so maybe she could help you because she's got a bit of time, and that's her background. And, um, and so I got hired, I was living in Wollongong, I got hired to be the one person on the other side of the planet as an employee of Oxbow's in the farm and I worked with them for six years putting together, answering those queries of people in Hong Kong or wherever wanted, wanted product and eventually in Europe and um, we put together a network of distributors. And so that was, but Australia wasn't ready to recognize the niche. I had an office here but we never brought product in. So, sorry, long-winded. No, no, that's a good story. That's a great story. And we're certainly glad that we do have Oxbow in Australia now, and we, we use it daily in, in my clinic, and I'm sure you do well as well, Mark, not just with the, with the pellets, but also the enormous amount of the critical care that we use for all those gut stasis rabbits and guinea pigs. So, so what year was it that Oxbow was available in Australia? Can you remember, Jim? We brought critical care in in 2006. That was the first time. So 12 years now. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And I went to that conference, probably met you guys there, actually, yeah. in a nightclub in Melbourne. Oh, no, we, 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 won't, we might edit that little bit out, so I'm a bit late. Um, yes. No, we won't. The we'll conference was in a nightclub. I didn't meet you. So... Um, We've visited your stand briefly um, today, and we haven't looked through all the products here. But what, what um, new? Are there any new products from Oxbow that you have on the stand at the moment? I know that I've I've been increasingly using the um, uh, the natural science supplements there. The urinary support that um, is the one I'm probably been su um, suggesting mostly to my clients. Um, a little bit of the um, digestive support one as well and we've been having some pretty good feedback mm. from clients especially with the the rabbits and the guinea pigs that have had um, uh, UTIs, urinary tract infections and the ones post-surgery for removing um, stones. Um, some of them, it's all anecdotal, but some of them are um, um, doing quite well and not having recur recurrences of them. So so I think that the, those supplement ones are, are doing quite well and I think it's a a good product out there, but is there anything else new on the market that you've got um, coming out or that you can mention? Over the last year, probably the Garden Flecked range, um, which is our new pellet range, is probably the most exciting thing. And here in Australia, that means we've got, um, I suppose, rat food for the first time, which is great. Um, and so the Garden Select um, range has adult rabbit and adult guinea pig and the rat. Um, pelleted diets and the um, it's just a flavor variation the nutrition is the same as the essentials the red bag it's like a dog food that has a beef or a chicken flavor for these the red bag has a predominantly a timothy grass flavor to it whereas the garden select range has more um, aromatic herbs tomato pumice that kind of thing it's just a, a different and have you had any feedback so far what which of those particular varieties that rabbits do or don't like or, or, or it varies between individuals? 
Um, we haven't had, um, we're not hearing, oh, everybody has a particular favourite. Um, it's, it seems to be, my Bordicoli likes beef or chicken, and, <laughs> um, and they are interchangeable. People worry about transitioning between the two. It's not a problem. The, nutrition, the nutrition's the same, and you can change from um, one bag to the next, and if you feel like changing it up, really keeping a bit of variety in that sense in the animal's diet is good, keeping them flexible in case they get so set in their in their feeding patterns. If you don't have access to a particular product, it's nice to always be training your animal to be flexible so that you have you can bring something else home and they don't go on a starvation diet on you. That's definitely the case with um, other products that we've had through various unusual species in Australia where we've you know, had clients go on to them and the animals become uh, fastidious in their tastes and then when those products are no longer available they do go on to even cause themselves uh, um, problems with their health because they don't eat as well. So I back you, Jen. I think we should have uh, um, a habit of making them a bit um, resilient to change in their diet. We do that also with the hay products we talk about. Um, if you if you clean, if Bunny takes its kind of first go at the hay, it's going to go for the leaves, the soft stuff, not the stem. The stem is actually the higher, more fibrous part of the plant. So in a perfect world, you want the high fiber in the animal, you want the stem in the animal, they're going to choose the leaf first. And if you come along as a perfect pet parent and you clean up those stems the first day, Bunny just learns all I have to do is eat the leaves. My fiber rate goes down and and I'm spoiled. And then when a crop of hay changes and it's not maybe as leafy, now you've got a strike on your hands and Bunny's not eating at all. Great point. I think that's something you should introduce in a little handout um, for, for new clients where you go through that exact process you just described about feeding or introducing the product to, to new to new. Um, bunny owners um, now and one, one other thing we wanted to chat to you about Jen before you get back to your very busy station here at the AVA conference is um, you have a little sideline that's sort of really blossomed lately in the last couple of years and that's the Baraka Station brand of brand of products so I know it's a, a, a local product here in Australia but um, some of our overseas listeners might be interested in hearing about it as well so how did this develop and where it is where is it produced? Oh, it's, it's the vast majority of it is produced on our little property and um, the brand Baraka Station is kind of tongue-in-cheek because our little property is a bit over two acres and um, Station was a, a joke a friend made when we first bought it and so Baraka is the street that we live on and so it, it's, it's supposed to be humorous if you know so now more people know the history. Um, I think it's a blend of me, um, this is my 19th year working in the bunny nutrition world and, um, and I'm also a mad gardener, permaculturalist kind of person in my non-professional world. And so Baraka Station is, I think, a blend of that. It lets me bring my industry background and all the veterinary lectures I've sat in in all the years and all the stories that I've learned about and blend it with my gardening. And so um, really the, this, the line, if you're not familiar with it, we do, uh, we do um, apple chews, we do tree chews for getting rabbits to grind on something because any kind of grinding is good. Um, we do sprinkles that are um, 
flavoured topping basically for hay just to create a bit of variety in a rabbit or a guinea pig's enclosure for the day. And then we also do herb blends that change seasonally according to what's growing on the property here on the Gold Coast. So um, those, the idea behind it is basically to get into people's minds that these are leaf and stem eating animals and that we can enrich their lives and we can provide a variety of flavours while keeping with the leaf and stem um, structure and we don't have to go to yogurt drops and seeds and f um, really sugary big amounts of sugary fruit little fruits fine a lot a lot of sugars not fine um, so trying to get people to think outside the box and think leaf and stem and what can we do with that and so yeah and so we have a bit of a line and we sell it in a growing number of places and it's I think it's doing fantastically well by the sound of things you're underselling it there um jen we purchased a whole lot of your christmas sprinkles i think they were called mm -hmm. um before christmas and and they went out the door as soon as we got them in and i think we did two or three orders of those as you as you're well aware but i, I think it's it really taps into that environmental enrichment um products that we need to need to provide to these all the animals not just the bunnies mark um and and Brachistation is is i think a great great place to get some of these um, products. Well, and particularly, uh, I would reinforce that whole environmental enrichment, the the, um, the other smells that the, these animals get, the different tastes, um, uh, the, they're all really important to enhance their quality of life, and it's great that we've got this resource to present to clients, I reckon. We want more of it, Jen, I think oh, is the answer to that. <laughs> That's fun, thank So, Jen, thanks for um, spending a, a few minutes with us to chat on our um, little podcast here, and um, um, we hope to get you back on at some stage, and we might do a, a main feature on um, Oxbow Australia and specialised animal nutrition. It's fun. Thank you. Well, Mark, we're here with Andrew from Chemical Essentials, which is the Australasian distributor of F10 compounds. Is that correct, Andrew? Pretty much, yeah. And why is F10 so popular? We use it by the bucket load in our clinic for exotic pets. For we use it in our clinic for cleaning in the clinic as well, actually. Do you do, you do that? Indeed we do. So why is it so good? Why does it work? Well, That's the secret, um, the secret sauce, <laughs> is it? It is the secret sauce, actually. I think um, traditionally disinfectants used to be either strong and uh, you know, decent disinfectants that worked but had many side effects and adverse uh, effects on bits and pieces in humans and animals, and or they were safe but didn't, weren't very effective against uh, your hard-to-kill pathogens. And uh, I think F10 was one of the first formulations that came out that combined this uh, very safe formulation not harmful to humans or animals, but giving you the sort of power that you used to typically get out of a, a glutaraldehyde or a, something you, like that. Sorry to interrupt you. Do you still get people coming and saying, oh, it mustn't be very good because it doesn't sting my eyes and, or it doesn't burn my skin when, I, when, it, when it drips on me? No. I know. I used to get that when I used to sell <laughs> eye drops a long, long time ago in a different <laughs> life. Actually, the, the local populace in South Africa like the eye drops that's, that, that sting because it works. Yeah, the other ones good don't, don't we? Yeah, so sulfacetamide eye drops work well because they sting. <laughs> but no, uh, we haven't had that with F10. Generally, the, the people are pretty happy that it doesn't cause any irritation or anything like that. Um, would you get the odd question? Well, how can it work if it's so safe? And it is a bit of a strange one, but it just does, and we've got all the tests to show it does, so ergo it does. Yeah. Let's. You just touched on something that I think will roll back a few years. How did you get 
into the area you're in and how do you end up here in Australia from from South Africa? So what's your background? What did you study and and how did you end up getting the distributorship for F10 products? Well, how much time do you have left on this recording? You've, you've got two minutes now. It was three minutes, but you've got two minutes now. So. <laughs> right, so I studied microbiology and genetics and I did microbiology in the army, which was um, when I discovered that I didn't want to be a microbiologist for the rest of my life. <laughs> Um, so I went into uh, sales marketing. I joined a pharmaceutical company, and I did that for a number of years and got promoted a few times. And, uh, yeah, was doing well there, but I also knew that one of my best friend's dad started this little company in South Africa with this English-based product called F10, and, and they did tremendously well in the first couple of years, and they'd been going four years. And they kept saying, come and join us, come and join us. And I'm sort of going, no, I don't need to join you. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm a, I'm a manager of multiple divisions in a pharmaceutical company. I'm doing pretty good. But, uh, yeah, it came to this point where I met a girl. And uh, As it yeah, is a yeah, we decided, we decided we didn't want to actually have kids living in South Africa at that point. Uh, and we decided we would look at migrating to Australia, where we'd both been and enjoyed. And... Uh, yeah, I was in a pub one night with Ian and we were talking about this and he said, well, why don't you do F10 in, in, in Australia? I was like, huh, <laughs> there's, there's a thought. Everything starts to yeah, slot everything, Yeah, it does, yeah. So I actually, after a lot of thought and mm, hard decisions and all this sort of thing, leave the cushy, highfalutin high pharmaceutical manager life and go and start at scratch and... Uh, you know, learn, do two years in South Africa with Health and Hygiene who make F10 and uh, learning all about the product and getting up at five in the morning to go to poultry farms to do trials with F10, 200 k's from where you live, that was all fun. But uh, yeah, learn the product, make sure it's not all gold fairy dust and you can actually come and do something with it in another country. And yeah, it was here we got, arrived here, didn't know anybody, picked up a phone, a pencil (laughs) and the phone book and started ringing companies basically. And yeah, here we are, 17 years later. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, are there, and I, I know that F10 range has slowly been expanding into various formulations, I suppose, yeah. or, or types. Um, what's the what's the latest sort of um, formulations or, or products that you have on on display here at the AVA conference that you can chat a little bit about? Well, Brendan, we've got essentially the F10 range. F10, F10SC and a few other F10 products that disinfect surfaces, equipment, airspaces and those are the ones you're probably familiar with. I think you're probably familiar with the skincare range as well which uh, is registered for cats, dogs and horses in Australia and can be used for treating bacteria and fungal conditions so that's shampoo and ointment. Uh, and we've got the hand soaps and hand gels and, and things like that, even hand cream for those of you with soft skin need looking after. That's you, Mark. That's um, still looking right at me. We've got, the F10 range is actually a lot bigger than we can sell here. We have products that aren't registered in Australia, so I, I'm, I'm not even allowed to talk about them according to the APVMA, so I won't even mention any of the other ones, but there, there's, there are other products that I'd love to have here, and hopefully at some point we'll get them registered, but uh, at the moment the range is pretty much, you know, surfaces, equipment, airspaces, hands, and uh, animal skin, and that's that's pretty much what we do, yeah. We're so glad that um, that you know that there's been this avenue for these products, excellent products for veterinary hospitals and veterinary clients to use. And um, we're so glad that 
um, they, they're here and we're so glad that you've been able to help bring them to us. Mm. Um, have you had any hurdles along the way? Have you had things that have made life... I know it sounds like a dream run, Andrew. It seems yeah, like you've yeah. just come over here and had a great product and flogged it everywhere. But yeah, has there been anything yeah. that's the AV, the AP, the VMA? Are they? Yeah, yeah. Look, the, the, the yeah. <laughs> Is <laughs> that a no comment? Yeah. No, look. There, there's always hurdles somewhere along the line. You know, there's there's issues with sometimes compliance issues. We have issues with there's a number of um, competitors in many cases who aren't registered and and come. You know, making outrageous claims with no backup at all. Um, there are we've had some issues with some regulatory bodies as well, but I won't go into that any further. But you know, the, the bottom line is there's a lot of products out there that shouldn't be out there at all, uh, and they're still out there. Um, uh, you, you just got to make the best of it, keep going. Uh, you know, focus on what you're doing, focus on putting your message across to you guys, and you know, getting to know the right people. Are you guys having a beer later? With me, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. I, th- I think that introduces our last little topic before we let you get back to your stand there, um, Andrew. And How that's. Um, am I going to drink this? What, no. What, what is it with you and absinthe? <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a feeling that that might be you and Tristan, not me <laughs> at all. And um, I seem to remember that you were the one who wanted the second round of absinthe in the Gold Coast last year, from memory. Yeah, and I can't remember a thing after that. <laughs> and the first one was wonderful, and the second one was garbage from memory. It was. It tasted horrible because I hadn't tried that particular beverage before. And, yeah, um, yeah. The, yeah the first one was an amazing drink. And I think the bar that we ended up after that first drink of absinthe yeah. was, was not quite no, the establishment the, we no. should have been at. <laughs> And, um, you should have cough and, and it was it was downhill from from that um, onwards um, for that night. And I can't yeah. remember a thing after that. Well, so. look, we'll have to go try it again. We will, tonight. we will. No, and tomorrow, whatever. Thanks for um, spending a few minutes with us, Andrew. And um, you're a great supporter of the exotic pet industry and the exotic pet group in Australia and um, we really appreciate that as well. Great pleasure, and hope to stick at it for a long time to come. So, thanks, gents. Thanks. Well, there you go, Mark. That was the AVA National Conference in Brisbane 2018. Gee, it was was fun, wasn't it? (laughs) It was different. It was fun. I love your little um, uh, recorder. I think we're going to make good use of that over the coming months. I think we will. And, um, yeah, there was a a couple of those interviews there. We had a bit of background um, noise and a bit of laughing in that but I think it um, it cleaned it up pretty well so um, yeah well and I, th- I like to think that it added to the character <laughs> of the, the interviews that, that they were like real talks in the hall with the people who were trying to um, uh, provide a service to veterinarians and, and it's a, it was a, a, a really inter- interesting discussion with uh, both Jen and Andrew yes and um I think we may do a part two for this to add um, the other interviews, depending on how the edits go with them, um, Mark. So, yeah, so um, let us know if you enjoyed the podcast this week, a little bit different, um, our usual address there, vetgurus at gmail.com, and um, send us a line. We like to hear from our listeners. And how many countries is it now, Mark? What did it say when we looked at 20, 23? No, 43. 43. 43. 
So we have listeners or or subscribers in 43 countries, so that's fantastic. We're amazed and we're just so happy that we get more than one person listening to us. When we first started, I said to Brendan, we'd be be several months into this and there'd just be our parents and partners listening to us, but we're just over the moon that there are some people who uh, are uh, interested in the ramblings of two old doofus vets. Yes. No. Well, speak for yourself. (laughs) So, yeah, well, thanks for listening. And, yeah, friends and veterinary colleagues know that um, our podcast is out there and get some more subscribers for us because we're always looking for for more friends. I need more friends, Mark. I don't know about you. Always. Yeah. So we'll um, talk to you next week. And thanks for listening. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time